0: Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high speed internet. Today, I'm joined by James Clark, a fellow with the American Connection Corps, which is a program spearheaded by Lando Lakes and Lead for America that awards fellowships to individuals across the country working to address the digital divide in their communities. Through his fellowship with ACC, James is working with the tribal leadership of the Mill lax Band to preserve the Ojibwe language of his indigenous ancestors. He joins me to talk more about that work and why it matters, as well as the current state of the digital divide for the people of Mill lax and other indigenous communities. James, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. How about yourself?
0: I am well this morning. I'm excited to get to talk to you. So why don't we start off? Give me a, a bit of background on yourself, um, as well as the Mill Locks Band Reservation. Tell me about the community, the population, and anything that you want our listeners to know.
1: Of course. Uh, first, I'd like to introduce myself and in my language. i buju and I'm the uh, so what I said there was uh, a little bit about my Indian name uh, is Yellow Cloud. I am of the Eagle Clan and I'm from Mille Lacs. So the Malax Band of Non-Removable Ojibwe was established around the year 1837 by the treaty that was established with the federal government. Um, and then reaffirmed again in 19 or 1855. We are located in North Central Minnesota. We are comprised of four different districts or places that um, are our boundaries, so to speak. Correlate as of right now, uh, the Malax band has about 4,800 ish members, so not not too terribly large. Um, but it's still a good amount, and we and all of our communities um, still practice, and a lot of them um, still uh, speak the language. You know, get you in and on, you know, uh, uh, get your, get you in and, on. Um, and, yeah, that's that's a little bit about our our people.
0: Yeah, fantastic! Thank you so much for all of that background. Um, so. We're here to talk about broadband. Uh, tell me a bit about the state of broadband access and the digital divide um, for the people of Millax. How much of the community has broadband access to your knowledge? What types of services are available? And where is access really lacking?
1: Mm. So from the, the previous feasibility studies done and the maps that, that have been drawn, it really seems like a lot of the districts are very underserved. They're just completely red, meaning that you know nobody can even get access. Period, and it's very um, unfortunate to hear. Um, but we do think about fifty percent of the reservation is able to get some kind of reliable, well, you know, as reliable as reliable can be, um, broadband, and so that's you know, not terribly unreasonable, um, but home, home internet access seems to be, um, the biggest challenge just due to the terrain. So we have heavily forested areas around us just for the fact, um, you know, that a lot of, even though we were logged out in years past, you know, we still try and keep a lot of our, um, forested areas and also out in our eastern districts we have a lot of marshes you know a lot of swamp land that prevents um you know from being able to dig in the ground and lay tons of fiber and so all around it's unfortunately just difficult to um, have good solid access just because you know you may have to drive 20 minutes one place just to get you know a bar of service either on your phone or you know, free public Wi-Fi.
0: So that sounds uh, largely like an infrastructure problem. Um, Is infrastructure, the lack of infrastructure, the main factor causing the digital divide um, is as or is it all do you also suffer from affordability issues, digital literacy issues? These are the same issues that are are faced across the country in different communities. So just trying to get a sense of how much each of those factors causing the digital divide is um, at play here.
1: Mm. Yeah, I definitely would say that um, the, the funding is a large part of it, you mm-hmm. know, because it is so expensive. And especially when you have to take such, you know, as a native nation, we do take such care into where we place the, the materials, where we, you know, decide to dig up and, and take out, because we don't see trees as obstacles. So to mm-hmm. speak. We, we see them as relatives. They're we're, we're cousins to them, essentially. And so while that is hard, you know, we understand we, we are still with the modern times, unfortunately, about, you know, getting health care to people, about getting government services to people. Um. So, but, you know, we do see that as a big strain about, like, having economic infrastructure come in, you know, especially with, Covid, you know, it's been very hard for children to learn. So, yeah. yes, I would definitely say that the infrastructure, unfortunately, is is a little stale at or unstable. Or, yeah, we'll just say that
0: at the yeah. Moment. That that's interesting. So you're you're contending with quite a few issues here. The the actual, um, you know, other as as you rightly point out, other communities might consider those things obstructions, whereas uh, your community does not consider um, environmental uh truths, <laughs> environmental realities to, to be obstructive, yet you're in need of infrastructure that uh connects your community um to health services and and to to education. So it's it's a it's complicated on, on multiple levels, which I think should probably bring us to your involvement here because you were selected, um, as a fellow with the American Connection Corps, which is a new program, um, focused on ending the digital divide. Um, and I think it's really interesting because you have that unique perspective of what can work in, in that community, um, and, and, fit with the values of the Milox uh, people. So tell me more about your fellowship, why you applied and what your goals and plans are now that you were selected.
1: Mm. So I was asked to be an a c c fellow because my approach to broadband was very personal and deeply rooted in my community with the band um, my mission or my project so to speak a year ago was to do uh Jibway language and culture revitalization projects with the band, which is something that you know is very deep and personal to myself as my my ancestors my great-grandparents in Anibun were um, language teachers for about 30 years down in Minneapolis. So, um, you know, we were doing zoom sessions with our first speaking elders or our elders who first spoke Ojibwe and then learned English later. And we would not have been able to do that without zoom. Mm-hmm. Zoom was that kind of key that unlocked the door for us to continue this stuff this is the such important work that we're doing with them. And it also helps keep them, you know, going, you know, because they are a very vulnerable population. And so they feel, you know, that the pandemic's, you know, taken a lot of their so, sociality away from them. So that's that's just something that, you know, with the fellowship I'm able to do. I'm able to go visit them. I'm able to go, you know, work with them hand hand on, build build intergenerational relationships. These people have known my family for almost four generations. Wow. I've, so it's, it's very humbling to be able to, to know them.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. So how long does it uh, is the fellowship? How long does the fellowship last? Um, is there an endpoint? Is there an ultimate goal that you have um, before this program is complete?
1: Mm, so I started in uh, 20. I was uh, first part of the lead for Minnesota, lead for America uh, 2020 cohort. And our duration is 48 months or two years. And so I was brought in on this as my second year as kind of not a divergent track, but a, a continue to come together track and uh, continue. So I will be um, here for about another 10, nine months until my my two years will be complete.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. So I'm excited to keep up with what you're doing um, with your fellowship. It sounds like really important work that I don't think is on the forefront of many people's minds when they're thinking about the problems that stem from lack of broadband access. And I'm really excited that you're here to highlight that. So thank you. Um, But what more do you need from policymakers in Minnesota and in Washington, D.C. to address some of the issues uh, that are being dealt with uh, by you and that are still facing, um, the mill locks band, um, and other that are facing other indigenous communities throughout, um, Minnesota and the country.
1: I would say the biggest one is definitely the funding. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we a lot of the people at least i talk to are really really in favor of the infrastructure bill passing mm-hmm. because that'll give money i believe it'll give money directly to the native nations themselves mm-hmm. so that we can start you know figuring out how you know we're going to do this for our people because that's what our our sovereignty truly means you know just because we get a resource from an outside party doesn't mean we give our sovereignty up it just means that Right. They, tr- they know and trust that we will do what is best for our people with it. Um, and, you know, the other thing that, you know, doing this more, you know, understanding the, the culture, understanding, you know, culture isn't just harvesting. It's a way of life. It's a way of doing things that changes your perspective about the world. It changes your perspective about time. And it changes your perspective about the the world around you. Um, So kind of going back to that past point of, you know, trying to get that reliable, affordable, you know, sustainable Internet without hurting our relatives, you know, without disrupting the ecosystem. Because indigenous nations, you know, protect quite a bit of um, our ecosystems around the world because we are stewards. We're not people who are here um, with minds of, of taking over. We are here with minds of, you know, we are going to co- co-own this land. We are going to not overuse it. We are going to use it just enough that we need it to help our people. So that's that's definitely where I see, you know, on the, the federal side and the state side of, you know, just because we may not, put it to work right away does not mean that we're not going to use it. It just means a little more care is going to go into that answer that where we're going to put it, how we're going to put it and why we're going to put it.
0: Yeah. Um, If I can ask you one quick follow-up on that, can you elaborate at all on what we can do with internet infrastructure from a native point of view so that it's not so disruptive to the environment? Are there ideas in effect already um, that you would like to see broadened?
1: Mm. i've uh i've taken a little particular interest to satellite internet okay. i think that is very very cool and you know when i was talking about that dense tree population on a lot or especially on our you know reservation that would be very helpful just because then you wouldn't have to disrupt so much land just to get at one house because you know right. we are spread apart um in in the treaties. Each per a lot, you know, how it is a lot of days is we're allotted, you know, 10 acres. You don't see a lot of those around anymore, but you still do see those. And that's what, you know, causes the fiber to be so expensive sometimes because you have to lay through that because you don't know the houses aren't going to be right next to each other. They're going to be separate. You know, they could be a mile or two away. Well, guess what? You need to lay fiber for that that long or figure out another way of, of doing that or having a hybrid model. So it's just, it can be difficult.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So technically satellite makes a lot of sense, both because of uh, the environmental, quote unquote, difficulties and because of your actual relationship to the environment, Um, satellite doesn't rip up the land. So uh, that's really fascinating stuff, James. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about all of this um, and for all the wonderful work you're doing. I think uh, your community is very lucky to have you.
1: You know, that's the way we say thank you very much for listening. I, I do appreciate your time as well.
0: Thank you again, James, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landrio, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.